Good afternoon. You are listening to the Recovery Hour Talk Radio Show that is being brought to you by the Rockdale County Stepping Up Initiative. You can continue listening to us on the CAT 10 ENT Network by downloading the His Hop Radio app. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. This is Bill and Tanisha, and and as we always say today, we have a real treat for you. But before I get off to the cosmos, I would be remiss if I first didn't shout out to our sponsors, the Stepping Up Initiative, which is a national initiative, but it's been adopted here in Rockdale County. The purpose of that initiative is to reduce the number of people in jails that have mental health or substance use disorders, or that look like us on the inside or the outside. And with that being said, also I'd like to shout out to our fearless leader, the tip of the spear, Commissioner Doreen Williams, because without her tutelage, without her commitment, without her support, we probably wouldn't be doing this like this, right? Also shout out to Hurricane Maine and Category 10 Entertainment for giving us this platform on His Hop Network so that this message can go all across the world. Shout out to our listeners, Even the listeners we have in Germany, as we were looking at our analytics and realized that people in Germany listen to this show, I am amazed. And I know when I came into the program, they said I would be amazed before I'm halfway through. So I guess that means I'm almost halfway through because I am truly amazed. With that being said, today, like I say, we got a real treat for you and it's bigger than just a treat. It's almost like a full course meal Today, we have Dr. Anise Mabry with us, and and that is bigger than words. Dr. Mabry is just, it would take me all the rest of the time for this show if I just gave you her credentials, right? And, And she has done and is doing so many things that just going to get into the content. But first, I would like to introduce Dr. Mabry, and and I would like to introduce you, and I want to ask you a quick question for our listeners. Why are you here with us today? Well, good morning, Bill. Um, So why am I here? I am here because I'm passionate about two things. One, I'm passionate about putting high school diplomas in the hands of people who never thought that they could get a diploma. And two, I'm passionate about disrupting the prison pipeline and not just the prison pipeline, but the K-12 to prison pipeline. Wow, so that's super powerful. And and, you know, it was when I sat down and had the conversation with you and I realized how your life's work intersects with my dysfunction and my recovery story. And, And because when I really woke up out of that darkness that I was in for 50 years, I remember one day I woke up, I was 50 years old. I had just come in out of that storm and I was looking for recovery and purpose and stability and all of those things. And I didn't even have a GED. And every place that I went, people were saying, well, do you have a high school diploma or GED? And I was like, no. And and what I realized is that I had been uncultured to believe that I didn't need one. 
because in, in the dysfunction, you don't need one. To be dysfunctional, you don't need education. And that's part of that grand design to create dysfunction, as you say. So when you say you're disrupting that process, my hat goes off to you. But when we're speaking of hats off, because it's kind of like that's what they do at the graduation where everybody takes their hat off and throws it up in the air. I did not have that experience, however, but I'm sure you did. So one of the things I would like to get you to do, because you're probably the only person that can do it, will you tell our listeners just what your credentials and some of the things that you've done? Can you tell us that and take as long as you need? All of us will just kind of put our hands behind our head and kick back. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you the condensed version. In 1995, I went through the Fulton County Police Academy and became a Georgia certified police officer, still certified to this day. In 1997, I graduated with my first bachelor's degree. In 99, I graduated with my second bachelor's degree and my first master's degree. I went on to get five more master's degrees and I got two PhDs, one in education with a concentration in teaching and learning and one in criminal justice with a concentration in juvenile justice and juvenile education. So where does all of that take me? Well, I went on this incredible journey like Alice in Wonderland. And I became a third grade teacher. I realized that working with children is not my jam. I'm sure that there are some people who love children. I'm just not one of those people. And people look at me and they say, but you're a teacher. And I'm like, yeah, but small children are not my jam. They're not my people. They're not my tribe. My tribe are adults who have dropped out of school. My tribe are students who are struggling in school. My tribe are homeless LGBTQ youth, sex trafficking survivors, high school dropouts, youth aging out of foster care. That's my tribe. And you know, when you're doing work like this, you gotta know who your tribe is because a lot of times you end up in tribes and you're like, this is my tribe, this is my tribe. No baby, that's your temporary rest stop. That's not your tribe. How did I get into this work? My daughter has a mental illness. And in order to save my daughter, I ended up having to homeschool her. I didn't know a lot about homeschooling when I started because I wasn't one of those mothers who just wanted to homeschool my child because I wanted to spend every waking moment with my child and just bask in every moment that we had together and, and just seize the opportunity and run frolicking through the fields. That was not me. I was not that mother. I became a homeschool mom by sheer necessity. And that necessity was that every time my daughter would go back to school, she would attempt suicide. And she was spending less than 14 days in school a month. So if you know anything about the public school system, you have to spend 180 days in school every year. So if she's only there for less than 14 days a month, Houston, there is a problem. And I realized that there was a problem one day when I went to, she was inpatient at Peachford. And I would go up for the, they had parent time like two days a week. 
and she was telling me some of the worksheets that they gave her. And I was like, oh, she's, you know, she's telling me how excited she was about the worksheets. So I asked her program coordinator, I said, well, you know, she's doing all of these worksheets inpatient. How does that line up with the standards when she goes back to school? You know, how is, the, how is all of this going to fit in? And her case manager looked at me and said, well, that's the school's job to figure it out how the worksheets that we're giving her here will fit back into their curriculum. And I'm like, do, do what? I'm like, we can do a lot of things in life, but that's not what we're going to do. And, you know, I just, I remember thinking, if I don't step in to do something, my child is going to fall through the cracks. And so I was the dean of the university. And I remember calling my dean of academic affairs and the university president because I was on fast track to become the first African-American female president of the university. And I said, I said, I've got to take a sabbatical. I said, I don't know when I'm coming back, but if I don't step away right now, I said, I may not have anything to step back to at home. And Bill, that was probably one of the hardest things I ever said, because, you know, I spent my whole life building all of these amazing education credentials mm -hmm. to sit in that spot as the dean and to eventually one day become the president. And now I'm saying, I got to step away to take care of my child. You know, and that's why sometimes God, God's plan for us is bigger than what we could ever imagine. So when I stepped away to take care of my child, you know, I, I didn't really know a lot about homeschool law. And I thought that homeschool was just something that, you know, uh, people who were overly religious did mm -hmm. because, you know, that's what we were always shown. I thought that homeschool was something that your kids were not going to be socialized. They were going to be isolated. I just had all of these ideas in my head and I'm like, but homeschool is my only option. So we're just going to have to be weird and unsocialized and all of that. What I learned is number one, homeschool children, and I, I correct people on this all the time. I hate it when people say homeschool kids aren't socialized. We socialize animals. We don't need to socialize children. Children will socialize with each other by default and design, just in the way that they interact daily. And the second thing is there are a lot of homeschool resources. There's even more homeschool resources today post-pandemic than there were when I first started homeschooling in 2011. And the whole reason I ended up with a nonprofit organization is when I was trying to homeschool my daughter, there was one curriculum provider that I wanted to work with. And they told me, we can only sell our curriculum to a nonprofit organization or a school district. And me being the, the logical person that I am, I knew that I couldn't become a school district, but I was like, I think I can become a nonprofit organization. So I called my attorney and I said, Terrence, I need a nonprofit organization. He said, well, what do you want it to do? I said, I don't care. He said, well, what do you want to call it? I said, I don't care. I said, I just need to be able to buy curriculum so that I can homeschool my child. So he creates the Dr. Anise Mabry Foundation and we get our 501c3 status in six months and I go by the curriculum. 
what I didn't realize, Bill, was when you buy curriculum as a nonprofit organization or a school district, you have to buy in bulk, meaning that you have to buy in sets of either 25, 50, or 100. So I've only got one child in high school, but I had to buy a set of curriculum for 25 kids. And I was like, mm, okay, yeah, that's what I said. Mm. I, didn't, I got 25 pieces of curriculum. I only need one. So this is kind of like when you're baking and you overbake the muffins and you start going door to door to your neighbors passing out muffins. And that's literally how, how my diploma program got started was, you know, I graduated my daughter. I still had all of this extra curriculum and I was talking to my neighbor. Her daughter had dropped out of school and I said, well, I've been studying homeschool law a little bit, and I know in Georgia, a parent can issue your own homeschool high school diploma to your child at any age, even if your child is over 18, because guess what? Your child is always your child. And I said, so I think that we can do this. And she's like, well, how, you know, what are we going to do? I said, well, I said, we're going to use how we do it in college, and we're going to get a copy of her transcript. And I'm going to evaluate it and match it up against the classes that she would need in high school compared to the classes that she's already taken. And then I had to go back one more and I said, oh, wait, we don't have a grading scale. So I got to create a whole grading scale for my homeschool program. So I create a grading scale and I, I make a 60 passing, whereas 60 is failing in public school. And so when we get through um, doing, uh, I call it sprinkling fairy dust and glitter and everything else, her daughter only needed three classes to graduate from high school. So we get her daughter graduated. And this was kind of like that scene from the movie Harriet, where, you know, Harriet goes back to get her brother and she's only going back for her brother. And then all of the other slaves just start coming out of the woods because they want to be free too. And that's literally how this program started. I graduated my neighbor's daughter and all of these other adults who didn't have high school diplomas start coming out and saying, I need your program too. I need your help. I need your program too. I need your help. So 406 people later, that's how many mm. I've graduated. I'm one person and I do now I'm partnered with police departments. I'm partnered with DFACs. I'm partnered with Family Connections. Dollar General Literacy Foundation is one of my sponsors. United Way of Metro Atlanta is one of my grantees. And Walmart Corporation is one of my retail partnerships. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting a ton of support. We would like to thank our leader, Commissioner Dr. Doreen Williams, the Rockdale County Sheriff's Office, along with other numerous partners and stakeholders that are taking the initiative to create change for the Rockdale County recovery community. We know that it takes all parts of a community to carry out this vision and together we are stronger. The brother of the young lady that I had graduated he has been in and out of prison and jail. And so one day we were talking back in January and he comes to me and he says, doc, he said, 
you know, it's really hard trying to get a job out here when you've got a record. I said, you know, I don't know what that's like, but I can only imagine. So he's like, we need to do a program like an inmates to entrepreneurs program. And I'm like, okay. I said, you know, because like you say, Bill, you know, that, that scary, brilliant brain of mine is always turning. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so let's figure out what this inmates to entrepreneurs thing will look like. So, you know, and his name was Chris. And so Chris and I start talking and, and we get everything laid out and, you know, I get the curriculum written and it's a 12 week curriculum. And I'm just, I'm excited about it, you know, because I had tossed it around for a little while. And, and so I'm getting, I was ready to test drive it. Well, Chris ends up getting killed and I'm like, okay, so I've lost my muse now. You know, I've lost the, the person that's, that's sitting on my shoulder, whispering in my ear, which way to go and which way to turn. So I'm out here with a, a curriculum with no GPS, mm. but that's the thing about when you're on a journey, sometimes your GPS can only get you to a certain point. And then you just have to stop and wait for your signal to pick up again mm. and you can go the rest of your journey. And um, Dr. Williams was my signal that picked me up, you know, because I put it out on Facebook that I was really looking to try to launch this program and I needed an opportunity to talk to people who had lived experience because I'm adamant that you cannot develop programs without the input of the people that you are directly impacting. So that's how I ended up talking to you. And you gave me so much hope and encouragement and a belief that this program is truly needed. Absolutely. A absolutely. And I want to thank you so much for saying those things. And, and one of the things in, that I've had the privilege of doing in the last, say, 10, 12, 13 years, I've had the privilege of meeting some people. I met Nora Haynes who wrote the CIT thing for Georgia, wrote the uh, Opening Doors to Recovery philosophy, used to be the president of NAMI. And, and years ago, she was an educator, did, wrote, created the school, the Montessori thing and all this other stuff. And um, I, I met her, I met Dr. Williams, I met Bernie and, and Diane Marianelli, and, and I met a lot of people that the power of necessity, the power of love, and the power of God drove them to create systems that didn't exist. And, and those systems and you people have impacted my life in this incredible way. And, and, and one of the greatest privileges I've had is to get into the car with you guys and realize, because you can smell like the gray matter, right? And you're like, what is that I smell? <laughs> that is scary. Is something burning? You know what I mean? Yeah, it is something burning, right? And, and you know, I, I, I partnered with Nora, and we went all across the country doing the CIT and, and, and doing different things. And she propelled me to places that obviously are beyond any type of normalcy. And, and she is fearless in her pursuit of this accomplishment for other people. 
And, and um, I, I just shout out Dr. Williams, likewise, because of her recognizing the impact that this had on her family. And so she wanted to create a system for all human beings and, and without restriction, right? And, and so I just, my hat is off to you guys in, in some kind of way I got sucked into the machine and I'm on these <laughs> on these incredible power rides and, and it is just really incredible. And, and so one of the things that I think happened on this ride that initially starts out for us, and then it becomes a community transformation. That's one of the things we're doing here with Stepping Up. And, and you know, the, uh, it, we're at the place now where we're starting to operationalize it because it was an initiative and now it's become a thing. And, and I remember when I first started, people were like, so what is that? And now people are saying, Stepping Up. You know, people call me on the phone and say, hey, are you stepping up, you know, and, and different things, but I see how it is bringing all the pieces together, all of the different uh, partners and stakeholders and bringing them together in a different way. Because the majority of times when, when those systems all come together, it's like blaming you for what you didn't do and da, 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 da. But this is very solution focused. No big eyes, no little use, regardless of what you feel. That can't become our primary purpose. Our primary purpose has to be to serve people. And, and I always say this to them, recovery has to run all the way through. And, and you just spoke to the very philosophy that is my purpose in life, is that you can't create things for people without those people. Because then it's your thing, it's not their thing. And, and then if you get it, if some people, it works for them, there's a greater number of people that it doesn't work for because they don't have a buy-in. They don't have an ownership. They don't have any skin in the game because that's your skin and that's your game. Um, it doesn't speak to them in their native language. And, and when I say that, people look at me like I've got three heads, but I know to a certainty that we can convert language to understandable terms because there's a whole difference in the subculture and in the way that some people have been uncultured and the way they process and receive information. And a lot of times I come into a room and I say to people, I'm gonna give you five words and I want you to tell me what is the meaning for those words. And I say, cheese, bread, salad, dough. What is that? What And... and Everybody thinks that we're going to have lunch or we're in a bakery, but there's a whole population of people that if you say those things, they think it's money. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. you know, there, there's different there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and for some people, they can't understand that there can be more than one right answer to the same question. Right. Yeah. And, and people used to tell me all the time, you know, the difference between right and wrong. Not really. <laughs> Because where I came from, what was right was going to jail. Yeah, you need to stand up for what you believe. You need to be about that. You need to be a man. To be a man, you do this, 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 straighten it. You, you know, all that stuff that I was taught, I was misinformed by people who were misinformed by people who were misinformed. So we, we have to cut through this. And, and, you know, another thing that for me that was very relevant as I traversed the criminal justice system, 
when I got to any housing or any space, I was never eligible for any of the programs because they said, he's too bad, he's too dangerous, he's too blah, blah, blah. We need to just lock him down. And, and as a result of that, when I reached the expiration date of my sentence, nothing had changed inside here. Nothing. Now I was a, a mega criminal, arch villain, and now my whole pursuit wasn't to change anything. It was to just not get caught. And, and, and as I really start to process that in my mind today, I realized that I could not see any alternative to being me. Nobody was telling me in my language how I could be anything else other than me. And, and that me that I could see, because I couldn't see beyond the smoke, I couldn't see beyond the bars, I couldn't see tomorrow, because where I come from, everybody's living for that moment today, instant gratification, because there may not be a tomorrow. And, and I, I needed people that, that could do it. And, and so I say that to say this, and I had this incredible experience the other day because I was in jail and I was doing a group in jail, right? And the gentleman asked me, he said, Bill, how come y'all ain't got no program that teach people how to own their own businesses or how to start a 501c3 or how to get their education? <laughs> and, and, and this is the thing. And your face popped up, right? Like inside my head, right? And, and what an incredible experience. So I, I say that to say this, inmates to entrepreneurs. Why? I, I heard you talk about your, your partner that, that passed and, and that whole thing and the impetus of that. But how do you know that will change our communities and our world? Here's the thing, Bill. So small businesses drive economies and communities. And, you know, when you've got, it's like I always say, jails and prisons house some of the most brilliant entrepreneurs in the world. They just don't know how to do it legally. If they knew how to do it legally, if they knew how to channel their talents and their gifts, we could transform an economy. But because they're never given an opportunity they only, they're doing, it's like you said, they're doing what they always did with more bad advice from people who got bad advice from people who got bad advice from people. You know, so inmates to entrepreneurs is deeper than just simply teaching people with a past on how to become a successful, legitimate business owner and get federal contracts, you know, and live a life that you never dreamed possible. But it's about disrupting a, a mindset and a lifestyle. You know, it's about giving people opportunity and hope. It's about, you know, when you've gone to three or four job interviews and the job keeps getting closed in your face because you've got a criminal record, even yeah. though they say we hire people with criminal records, but oh, not that criminal record. It, it's about giving people hope because it's like I've always said, number one, two things. Number one, you can police an educated community a lot differently than you can one that doesn't have any education. And two, you can manage a community that has hope a lot better than you can a community who is hopeless. 
And, you know, the third thing, I was talking to a mayor from South Georgia a few days ago, and he looked at me and he said, Dr. Mabry, he said, I just want you to always remember that five cave people can ruin your community. And I was like, huh? Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, he said, five cave people, citizens against really virtually everything. I was like, holy smokes. You know, and so when I, I think about, you know, the inmates to entrepreneurs, when I think about the stepping up initiative, when I think about the work that Grit and Grace is doing, when I think about all of the nonprofit organizations, and I think about all of the pushback that we get from the community sometimes, we're dealing with cave people. Yes. We're dealing with citizens against virtually everything. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. And people are so very afraid of change and, and the differential of power. And, and people are under the misconception that if we give them power, they will overthrow us or, or something, you know, and, and that simple thing called empathy. Yes. It is lost when people are in fear. That you, you know, when people are in fear, they go for survival, man, and, and empathy is lost. And, and you know, you're scared of me and you're scaring me. You, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and that yeah. people don't understand how that happens, especially in our society today. And, and we're standing on the premium of some very serious social dynamics. And, and people don't understand you're afraid of me and you're scaring me. And, 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 therein lies a very large disconnect. So for us to be able and driven and going into those different venues on every level, one of the greatest privileges of my life, is, you know, and I never thought, and, and you said it a minute ago, and, and I love it when you tell my recovery story, but, but this is the thing, today I'm living a dream. We are proud partners of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Rockdale Newton Chapter. NAMI Georgia is an organization of family, friends, and individuals whose lives have been affected by mental challenges. Together, we advocate for better lives for those individuals who have a mental challenge, and we offer support, education, and advocacy as we do so please visit the NAMI Georgia website at www.namigeorgia.org. And if you are local to the Rockdale Newton area, we would love to have you join the family. For more information, you can visit www.namirockdalenewton.com or follow their Facebook page at NAMI Rockdale Newton. I encourage people that are that hear the sound of my voice to understand that recovery, um, the, and I don't mean uh, mediocre recovery. I don't mean microwavable recovery. I'm talking about whole and full recovery. You know, like they say in the program, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, it's not easy, and, and it's going to propel you to a very uncomfortable place, and that's the place where you grow. 
that's the place where you evolve. And, and a lot of people, when they get to that uncomfortable place, they want to go to back to the place where they were comfortable. My comfort zone is a very mediocre environment that's only about five square blocks. And, and there's plenty of anesthetic on every corner. When I go into, and, and one of the things that I think is so relevant is the cultural agility needed mentally, spiritually, and emotionally to be able to create these type of transitions. Those biases that people carry are barriers to other people's freedom, especially people who were housing in, in incarceration or, or were or unhoused or homeless or whatever. You know, there's this, this mindset and there's two, two mindsets that holding that thing in place, right? And, and so today I am just so grateful and, and I've been in rooms and I'll never forget when me and Nora went to uh, CIT in Las Vegas and, and you know this is law enforcement convention and I was the keynote speaker I think me and Greg Hines uh, you probably know him the guy that jumped off the bridge and, and 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 we were out there speaking and I'm in a room with a thousand police officers right and and, <laughs> and I realized how powerful this God I serve is, right? Because he says to me, I'm going to give you a chance to change, right? And, and the, when I came into the program, they said, you need to change people, places, and things. I thought that meant I was, should move to Alaska. He thought it meant that I should stand in front of a thousand police and say, dude, I was so confused that that's why I ran, right? I ran because I didn't know where I was and I had no place to go and I was clueless about what to do next. And so when you're trapped inside that, that dysfunction, inside this conundrum with no escape, it's this inescapable conclusion that it's this is going bad and there's no good, there's no escape. And, and you know that the only thing left is death or incarceration. And who doesn't fight or flight then, you know what I mean? And so, that we have to stand at every level and change this dynamic. I thought something else was interesting because the title of, because we did the sequential intercept map thing when I created, Tanisha and I created the PowerPoint for our application to it. And we called it disrupting the sequential intercept map. You, you feel me? And, and a positive disruption. This system has to be disrupted or else it's going to do the same thing. It's designed in a certain way to do the same thing to the same people the same way. And, and it's not designed to change. It is not just really happy about change. So Dr. Mabry, those things that you're talking about, transforming law enforcement, transforming the systems, transform and, and you know just kind of dispelling some of those common misunderstandings like we can't work together with there's no meeting of the minds and the hearts and the souls see I, and when people say we can't have a meeting of the minds i think it's because they didn't bring their heart and their soul with them you feel me yeah. and, and that's where the mind meeting problem comes in right and and today i i just i just want you to know how grateful i am that Dr. Williams, and that's why I shout out to Dr. Doreen Williams, who we call the tip of the spear, 
when she called me and said, Bill, because she always tells me, Bill, be ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> when she said that, I'm like, what, okay, what else did you want me to do? <laughs> See, because another thing, she was a career educator. Nora, career educator. You, career educator. Me, never went to school. So God is kind of funny. You know what I mean? He said, I got, don't worry, Bill, I got you. <laughs> You know, we as career educators, you bring so much to us that we don't have. You know, we are out here building these programs that we think are going to disrupt systems for, you know, for students like you. And we didn't have a student like you in our table. Right. And the only way that you are going to disrupt a system for the people that you're trying to disrupt it for is to put the people at the table. You know, it's like I, I always tell, I used to always tell my, my deans and whatnot um, and my professors, you know, in our faculty meetings. And I would say, y'all, you are trying to solve a problem. Put the student in the middle of the problem and you will make the right answer. Yes. You know, we are trying to save our communities. Put the community in the center of the problem and you will figure out the answer. Economic development has to happen in these communities, but it's not going to happen with big businesses because there's not enough big businesses to come into these communities with the, with the money that they need. Right. But small businesses can. Right. You know. Right. If you get nine or 10 thriving small businesses that can employ one or two people, you have transformed an entire community. You're absolutely right, Doc. And, and you know, one of the things as, as I have studied, because <laughs> if I'm going to hang out with y'all, I have to study. It's unfortunate. <laughs> Which is unfortunate. Like when you, when you called me earlier, I said, well, I was out there studying, you know, but, but this is one of the things I realized about this whole societal design is that if you keep people from having education, meaningful employment and education, you got them and, and, and you got them. You have cut their arms and legs, you know what I'm saying? And you got a three-legged stool then, it can't stand. And, and so I, I just wanted to ask you another quick question, Doc. I know you got some irons in the fire. Right. And, and, and so, you know, when I talk to you and, and I'm under the misconception sometimes that I'm busy or I'm under the misconception, sometimes I got a lot of things going on or I'm <laughs> under the misconception sometimes that, you know, man, we're doing so many things. And then I talk to you and I'm no longer under that misconception. Um, I'm like, <laughs> I realize. So tell our listeners some of the irons you have in the fire. Okay. So one of my biggest initiatives is law enforcement is right now in a crisis and we're not going to arrest our way out of it. We're going to have to community police our way through it. And community policing is economic development. Community policing is literacy. Community policing is recovery. Community policing is everything that we never thought that it could be because we never imagined it differently other than putting on a, um, a McGraw, the crime dog suit and going out and passing out some suckers at an event. Right. You know, so one of the things that I'm doing through the United Way and through DFACS is I am a learning loss service provider 
for 79 counties in Georgia. So let me put this in a little bit of perspective for you. There's a, I think there's like 157 or 158 counties in Georgia. And I'm at the service provider for 79 of those counties. So that means I'm covering half the state. One woman, one Subaru. <laughs> But I'm, I'm determined, you know, because I know that if I don't get into these rural communities, that these kids are going to be left behind. And I know that if these rural children are left behind, they're going to be adults who eventually end up in that pipeline. And I can't disrupt the pipeline from the metro Atlanta area. I've got to go to the source where the pipeline is feeding the product and I've got to disrupt it at the source. You know, I tell a parable about the baby in the river and there was this community downstream and they saw all of these babies in the river. And so they assembled a dive team. They had, you know, they had baby snatchers out that people would stand on the banks and grab the babies. People would dive into the water and grab the babies. And, you know, and they had all of these systems set up down the river until one day somebody said, let me walk upstream and see why all of these babies are coming into the river in the first place. And when the person went upstream, they found out that the parents were putting the babies in the river because they didn't have any food. But downstream, they had food. So wouldn't it make more sense to take the food upstream than to build a whole system downstream to save the babies? Right. That's why it's so important for me to be in these rural communities, because those are my babies in the river. Wow. You know, the other thing that I do is I operate a chief's diploma program, and that's open to any rural law enforcement agency. And it connects the police chief with the community where people can go into the police department and say, hey, I don't have a high school diploma. They sign up. We use homeschool laws to help them get their high school diploma. And then the chief gathers all of the leaders in his or her community. And we do a graduation ceremony. And, you know, we in, in Macon County alone, I've been able to graduate over 137 adults without diplomas since wow. 2018. We put out our application for the class of 2023 and on July the 1st, by July the 11th, we had 186 people who applied. Wow. So the need is there. And as long as the need is there, I'm going to keep showing up. We've got a graduation ceremony in Terrell County on September the 24th. And, and I'm so grateful for the Terrell County principal and the, the superintendent, because, you know, they're realizing that children who are about to age out of school, meaning that they are 17 or 16 and in the ninth grade with only one or two credits, that they're not going to graduate. So we are working together, again, baby in the river, to disrupt that pipeline. And, you know, and sometimes a lot of these kids, when they get them to me, they may only have one credit in the public school system. But by the time they get to me, sometimes they end up with 11 and 12 credits. Because remember, Bill, I created my own grading scale, where mm -hmm. a 60 is passing, but right. a 60 is failing in public school. The other initiative that I'm doing is it's called the Mayor's Reading Challenge, and I'm working in conjunction with GMA, which is Georgia Municipal Association. And they are providing, it's a reading program where children are given books 
and it's a family affair. So I use fast forward reading program for grades uh, K through two. And then I use reading plus for grades three through 12. And fast forward is a reading program that's designed to help children who have dyslexia, who have um, written expression language disorder, who, you know, who are struggling readers, but this, the, no one knows why they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And so they work in the fast forward program is online. All of my programs are online. That's the other thing that when I built my program, I built everything online. And this was before the pandemic, because remember I had a child in and out the hospital. So we couldn't take books with us everywhere we went, right. but we always had our phone. Um, and so my program's always been online. And you know, so those are some those are some of my biggest irons in the fire. And then I'm also working with the Washington County Sheriff's Office. Um, I wrote their RSAT grant program, and I <laughs> I know you're shaking your head. So we are um, actually getting ready to apply for our continuation funding. And I was adamant that the RSAT program in Washington County be focused on four things: recovery reducing recidivism, re-education, and re-employment. And to that end, we were able to partner with um, Workforce Initiative of Georgia to allow people in the RSAT program to obtain industry certifications in mm-hmm. welding and forklift driving. And we partnered with Oconee Fall Line Technical College for their t- so that they could get industrial maintenance certifications. Yes. And so that they could go to college if they wanted to. Yes. You know, and we have the sheriff's diploma program down there, which is, you know, because a lot of times the RSAT program has the GED, but sometimes, you know, even after all of the classes and all of the extra help, it's still hard for some of those guys in the program to pass the GED. Yeah. So our goal is that nobody walks out of RSAT without a GED or a high school diploma. Wow, man, that is super powerful, Doc. It is our extreme pleasure to have such strong community partners, such as Viewpoint Health, to join us in our journey to recovering individuals as well as systems and procedures. Viewpoint Health offers an array of services and resources for individuals with mental health challenges, substance use challenges, as well as intellectual and developmental disabilities. To connect with them, please visit their website at www.myviewpointhealth.org or you can call 678-209-2411. Doug, as I, I listen to you, and, and I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your life's work. And, and I mean that from my most sincere place. If it wasn't for people like you, people like me wouldn't have a chance. And, and I say that because even after I came into recovery and I was chosen for this special project, the Opening Doors to Recovery Project, and uh, they hired me, so, oh, man, he's the perfect person, blah, blah, blah. And they brought me in. And then they ran my criminal history. And they said, oh, no, we're not taking And, and um, they, I got a letter from the Department of Behavioral Health that said, I'm sorry, you have been disqualified for employment, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, and so I called my supervisor at the CSB and told her what they said. 
And she said, you know, Bill, just get your stuff and come on back to the office and turn your stuff in. And, you know, that was pretty much the end of that process. But I said, you know what? And I called Nora. <laughs> and when I called Nora, I told her, she said, just, just go back. And when you get back, ask your supervisor again what she wants you to do. So I, because I was actually in defensive driving class, Brunswick or whatever. So anyway, it was about an hour drive back. And by the time I got back, I was pretty despondent. I'm like, wow, you know, finally got the chance. And now they're taking their way. Anyway, and I walked into the thing and I came into my supervisor's office and I said, here. And she looked at me and she said, just hang on to that stuff and, and just report here tomorrow and we'll play it by ear. Okay, so we're, we've been playing it by ear and I'm still here. <laughs> and, and later on, I found out, I think Nora went to the governor and got me a waiver. But, but it, this is the thing, without her moving that mountain out of the way, I wasn't going to have the chance to be sitting right here because all I needed was a chance. And, and I had historically failed any time anybody gave me a chance. I'd had a thousand chances and I blew them all. But this was my time. And, and that's the thing. We have, to be, we have to be resolute that everybody has a time. Everybody has a miracle of their own. And, and we can't stand in the way. We have to believe in the facilitation of miracles. And we have to create processes that have miracles in the middle of them. And, and if we don't do that, if we can't believe that big, we're in the wrong business. This, this is, I know people think this is an outcome business, but this is a belief business. Because if you don't believe it, you're, you're halfway behind. And I, you know, I'm not that good at math, but I know you're over halfway behind if you don't believe in what you're doing. So I want to thank you for your belief. I want to thank you for your commitment. I want to thank you for your time. And, and I just want to say to all of our listeners out there, this is, this is what it's all about. When people, you know, we run into people that are trying to change the world and we may not even know it, right? We, we, we run into people that are trying to change the world and we don't even realize it. And, and as we were sitting here doing the show, I was thinking about some years ago, I was at J.P. Carr. And they were having some type of ceremony. And, and there was the lady there that removed tattoos. There was a lady there that did something. I think she had an organization for Sarah or something. Mm -hmm. And there was another lady there that was talking about education. <laughs> and I was sitting at the table right across from too. I remember, right? Yeah, sometimes we're sitting right next to our miracle and we don't even realize it. We, we're right there and we don't even realize it. And then God, that God that we serve, he says, you know, Bill's a little slow. So let's bring that miracle back around for him. You feel me? <laughs> Put it right in front of him. He will get it. He's a little slow, but he'll get it. Put it right in front of him, man. And, and today, when you when I ask you, about your credentials and you said I've got five masters 
Lord, ever. anyway, with that being said, Doc, I want to ask you one more question, and we're going to let you get out of here because I know you've got things to do. What is the one message to all the people that are going to hear the sound of your voice? What message do you have for those people? I want to tell everyone, you know, when you are in your purpose and in your place, do it for the impact and not the income. The income will come once you determine what your impact is. And everyone has an impact. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter if you think that your, your story, you may feel that your story is a mess, but your mess is somebody else's miracle. Woo! You know, like I say, man, I, I am just, I'm done. I should be able to take the rest of the day off. Unfortunately, I can't. <laughs> However, I should be able to. It should be, I'm telling you, it should be in my contract. After one of these, it's, I should get the rest of the day off. Anyway, with that being said, Doc, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. And, and I don't even know what, what you, whew, Lord have mercy. If you were billing, I don't know what an hour that costs. But anyway, <laughs> I know we just came up. I know that. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank you for everybody out there in Radio Land. I want to thank y'all for your continued support. I want to thank you for all your letters. I want to thank you for all the, the questions that you send in. I want to thank the dudes out there in Germany for listening. I know y'all got really got lit today. And so, Tanisha, can you tell people how they can get this message? Of course, I want to encourage everyone to create positive connections and know that we are here to be one of those positive connections. So we invite you all to stay connected with us. You can do that by going to visit our website, which is rockdalesteppingup.com. And then when you go to the bottom of that webpage, you click on the little stay connected tab. That stay connected tab will take you to a library of our monthly newsletters. On each one of those newsletters, you will get a Commissioner's Corner, which is a message from Dr. Doreen Williams talking about the Stepping Up Initiative and everything that we're doing here in the Rockdale County Recovery Community and in the community as a whole. We also have a video of a person in recovery, which we have selected as the champion of recovery, and they're telling their story and their recovery journey. Also, we select a champion of change, which is a partner in our, our community who is advocating for positive change and creating po positive change within our community. We have several different recovery resources in there. We usually have an app in there that helps support you in your recovery. We also have all of our events and announcements in there as well. We also invite you to follow Grit and Grace on all of their social media platforms. They're listed on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, all under Grit and Grace RCO. And if you want to keep hearing these messages, the ones just like you've heard today, tune in to Category 10 ENT, I believe it's Cat 10 ENT, on the His Hop Network every Wednesday at 12 noon and Thursdays at 1 p.m. If you cannot tune in at those times, we do have a podcast and we're available on seven different platforms. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts. So y'all keep coming back.
Thank you for tuning in and feeding your recovery with another episode of the Recovery Hour. Remember that you can stay connected with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Grit and Grace RCO or just keep coming back every Wednesday at 12 noon. Until then, and as always, cherish the chips you hold.